Let's say you have a kid in school, and your kid comes home one day and seems out of sorts and is kind of quiet. And you say, what's the matter? What's up? Shrug their shoulders. Nothing. And they mope around, and they mope around. He said, all right, tell me, what's up? What happened at school today? And your son or daughter says, today my teacher said to me that I need to learn to hate you and dad. He said, oh, come on. What did your teacher really say? They said, I need to learn to hate you, and then shows you a piece of paper for the proof. And I think, at least most of you, your very next step would be to call the school and ask them exactly what is going on there, and why is my child being taught this? I want answers, and you should do that. But the question is, did it strike you today to ask those questions at Mass? What exactly is it that you were reading at Mass today? Deacon Terry just proclaimed the gospel in which Jesus says, If anyone comes to me without hating father and mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We come to Mass and hopefully what is our Sunday best, and we sit with our hands folded politely in our laps, and we smile or stifle a yawn and think nothing of it while we listen to a reading that says, you must hate your mother and your father. Isn't that nice, dear? Now imagine again, you have never been introduced to Jesus before, and this was your first exposure And you heard the line, you must hate your father and your mother. This might be the point at which you said, you know, Henry, I don't think this is the place for us. Let's go home. It would be easier if Jesus talked about other things to hate. You've probably been reading a lot in the newspaper or hearing in the news about the problem of epidemic proportions with heroin in our state. On the front page of the Beacon Journal today was a story about a man who had been struggling with it for many, many years. And it looked like he got over it and fell back and finally got over it, wanted to clean up his life. He says, I can't stand to live and I don't want to die. So he turned his life around, got rid of drugs and alcohol. He went back to school, got a degree and went back to uh, the workforce and then... As the paper reports today, he had another tragic fall, and he died from his use of drugs. Now there is something. If Jesus said, if anyone comes to me without hating heroin or porn or alcohol or gambling or compulsive shopping, cannot be my disciple. We'd be more inclined to say, you know what? That I get. I understand. After all, all these things become the center of somebody's life. What God has to offer is greater than all of these things. These awful addictions broker no rivals. They don't care about anybody or anything else except about being satisfied, even when the very person in its grip wants it to be otherwise. These addictions become one's mother and father, wife and child, brother and sister even becomes more important in extreme cases than one's own life, like the guy in the Beacon Journal today who gave his life over to these drugs. These addictions become malevolent gods to the person in its ugly clutches. 
So those things would be understandable, but Jesus didn't say those things. In fact, I think I would imagine him rather trying to bring healing to these people rather than condemning them. What he did say is hate mother and father, so these are the words with which we need to contend. Our first bit of relief will come from the knowledge that elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus upholds these important familiar, familial bonds. He's a big supporter of the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Dying on the cross, one of his big concerns was about his mother and who's going to take care of her. So, okay, we've got that. All right, so feel a little bit better. Maybe a clue comes from the rest of the parables that are being talked about today. When he's talking about earthly endeavors, he points out very practically that if you're going to undertake a big project, it's best to take stock of what you have in your resources to see if you can complete it. So we want to restore the church for our 90th anniversary in 2018, and we know it's going to be very expensive. So we get a committee together to take stock of exactly what needs to be done and how much it's going to cost, and can we do it? And we plan accordingly. It would be embarrassing not to plan and have scaffolding up and ladders and the pews half removed and then say, oops, we can't pay for this, and then all the workers walk off the job. Or think of... uh, Uh, the tower in Merriman Valley, that big cement tower constructed by Rex Humbart, right? Among other things, it was supposed to have a giant rotating restaurant on the top of it, but money ran short. And now for years, it has been nothing else but a giant cement unfinished tower retrofitted to be a cell phone tower. And people look at it and tisk in the same way in the gospel today. They said, this one began to build but did not have the resources to finish. In the same way that one calculates that they have what it takes to complete an earthly project, one must be sure that they have the resources to undertake a heavenly one. If earthly endeavors take wealth, family affection, and even life, it takes the exact opposite to take on a role of a disciple. If you love wealth more than your role as a disciple in the Lord, then wealth is your God, not Jesus. If you love your life more than being true to your faith and convictions, then your life has become your God, not the Holy Spirit. If family connections and affection are more important to you than the love of your Heavenly Father, then family is your God, not your Heavenly Father. But if you love God first, and we understand that God is the source of all love, then to love God first is to love your mother, your father, your spouse, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbor, to the utmost, because you're pointing them towards the source of all life and all love. When when first things are placed first, second things are not loved less, but are loved greater because we're loving them properly. An example of this would be, voca- uh, uh, would be vocations to a church vocation. The number one, the number one deterrent to a priestly or a religious vocation is parents. I don't want my daughter, I don't want my son to do this in which they're expressing an interest. Today, uh, we're celebrating Mother Teresa of Calcutta as being canonized a saint. From this day forward, she's going to be known as St. Teresa of Calcutta. She started 
a worldwide order of nuns who take care of the poorest of the poor all over the place, and she preserves the dignity of life. She didn't do it by first going out and just deciding she wanted to raise large sums of money and starting a hospital. She didn't do it by looking after her own self-interest, even when it came to her health at times. There's a story about when she lay dying in a bed and they were fearing she had some sort of strange disease uh, and uh, she was going into unconsciousness and they thought it was all over. And they contacted a doctor in the United States and had him come over to take a look at her. And he says when he walked into her room where her uh, Indian doctors were there with her, she sat up and she said, Whatever you do, do not disagree with my Indian doctors. I do not want them embarrassed. I need them. They take care of my people. She put her mission ahead of herself even. St. Teresa's father died when she was young, and she grew up extremely close to her mother. So she didn't start this worldwide movement by choosing her mother over being a disciple. And to be fair, her mother didn't even suggest that she do so. But what if her mother had said, I don't want you to go into religious life. I want you to get married and have my grandchildren. I want you to have a better paying job. I want you to stay around and take care of me. Or I just plain don't want you to be in a religious vocation. How different would the world be if mother would have chosen love of parent over her vocation? How different would Akron be if it were not for the religious and the priests that have served her beginning with the founding of St. Vincent Parish in 1837? Most of the time, vocations come with the encouragement of parents, but sometimes not. And these men and women have to say, God, I love you first. I was a lucky one. But lest you think I'm only speaking of church vocations, we're all called to a vocation of one way or another. We're all called to be disciples. We are called to love God first, and in loving God first and properly, we stand a far better chance of loving everyone and everything else properly. To love God before love of money, to love God before love of status, to love God before love of others, to love God even before self-preservation, as we see in the saints that we are surrounded by, to love God first and radically, and then to love everyone else, as we have seen today in the example of Mother Teresa of Calcutta.